Hey, welcome to Common Ground Church Bloberg. We are so delighted that you've joined us. We're a church committed to filling our hearts and our world with the life of Jesus. We do this by pursuing His presence, by being formed into His image, and then by loving the world on the mission He's called us to. Hey, if you've got any further questions about who we are or what we're up to, why don't you check out our website at cgbloberg.co.za. Enjoy the message. We trust it'll serve you in your journey of finding and following Jesus. The interesting thing about life for so many of us is that we live pretending things aren't the way that they are. So many of us spend so much of our time avoiding the real conversations that we know we need to have. It's a, it's a common experience. I suppose in my case, there was a conversation that my doctor on Monday knew he probably needed to have, but in his desire to bring good news, said it looks like it's going to be okay. He lies in bed at night and he rethinks what he saw and he starts to go, what's real and what I said don't match up. The only loving thing I can do is to pick up the phone tomorrow morning and tell him that reality and truth need to come back into alignment. I have to help you. I've shown it to a specialist. He's looked at it. And now we can align reality to the truth and we can actually move forward. You see, so many people, and I would say pretty much all of us, live with a kind of elephant in the room, a kind of x-ray, a kind of diagnosis, a, a situation, a scenario, an aspect of our lives that literally is undealt with, but we just ask for the good news. In fact, that's the story of the Old Testament. It's that these prophets bring bad diagnoses and they, the kings keep going, shut up, we don't wanna hear you. And they find false prophets to bring good news that never materializes because it's not true. Even in the life of Jesus, the people he gets most angry with, like angry to flip tables and to use some strong words, are the people who don't want to face actual reality. It's the Pharisees who are pretending that because externally they're doing a whole bunch of religious stuff, despite the fact that their hearts are hard and jealous and distant from God and unloving towards people, they appear good and people are thumbs upping them. They don't want to face the fact that deep down the system of their hearts are broken. And the most loving thing that Jesus can do is to break in and to bring reality to things that are being covered up, that there is a kind of pretending it's not real. If my doctor had said, it's okay, if my doctor had convinced the specialist, please don't call him, please don't tell him he needs surgery, let's just keep him happy, the years and decades would prove that to have been an unloving, unhelpful thing to have done, right? And so Lavi picks up the phone. Listen to this proverb. We're in the Proverbs. We're looking at wisdom. Proverbs 27, verse 5 to 7. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. <clears throat> Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beautiful fact that when you bring reality to us, you bring it with redemptive hope. We thank you that when we face the facts in the gospel, we are in the safest place in all the world. I pray today that as we talk about conflict, as we talk about how we help each other to face reality, that we would do so knowing that you are a God of mercy and love, and that even as you help us to see the facts of our lives, you do so as one who is merciful, who embraced the facts of our life and, and then became the sufferer, who embraced the pain, who embraced the consequences of our stupidity, that we might hear this news as good news that we might face reality and see that it is redeemable. Jesus, I pray that we would be ministers of reality and in great love, that we'd be a people who know how to do conflict well because we're a people of love. Teach us by your word. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, uh, when we were first doing uh, marriage counseling, in fact, even in the early stages of dating, I remember a person uh, said to us, the first question they ever got asked when they began to talk about getting engaged and getting married was this person said to them, how do you conflict? How do you two deal with your differences? And the person went on to say, because I will tell you if your marriage will succeed, based on how well you can deal with conflict. You see, the problem or the, the thing about conflict is that we will always have it. Conflict isn't a question of if, it's a question of when and how and how much. If you have any human interaction that has gone beyond infatuation, every relationship, whether it's a platonic friendship, whether it's romantic love, there will be a couple of weeks or months where it is just all amazing, and then the honeymoon uh, sort of infatuation stage will run out, and you will face reality, and then you will have conflict. Whether it's parent-child, whether it's in marriage, whether it's siblings, whether it's school friends, you will always have conflict. Just the differences of opinion between two people, the differences of experience, the clashing of characters, the clashing of two lives, there is always going to be conflict. So, as a maturing human being, there's two ways to deal with this. Either you pretend that's not true and stay immature, or you realize, I will always have conflict. It's inevitable. And so I better grow in doing it well. That's what it means to grow into maturity, is to realize in the area of conflict, I need to learn to get better at it. I need to become a person who can bring an open rebuke. I can bring wounds from a friend as a trusted, loving thing, rather than being an enemy who flatters, who multiplies kisses. I want to be the kind of friend who is like iron sharpening iron. I want to be the kind of friend that if you've been with me for an amount of time, you are getting better, not worse. The interactions that we have, even at times possibly slightly uncomfortable, are helping you to become the kind of person that God would want you to become. 
And I want you to hear this not just from the perspective of church. So often in our life group, we're talking with, and, and near the end of our life group, we go, but you know, what about in the real world? Let me tell you that the Proverbs weren't just, weren't primarily written, actually, for us on Sundays to talk about and to talk about how we interact around coffee. The Proverbs are written for you when it comes to you dealing with that boss who looks like the incarnation of evil, him or herself. It's about those complex politics around the, in your office space. It's about the difficult people that you're dealing with day in and day out, those complex interactions that you're having all the time. The book of Proverbs is writing not for Sunday, but for Monday through to Sunday. The whole of our lives is being put under the spotlight and saying, how do you do when it comes to conflict? Some of us are conflict averse. We run a mile. You hear the word conflict. I'm probably a little bit that way, except that I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years. I have had to grow in my ability to face complex and difficult conversations. That's just part of life as a pastor. But it doesn't mean I love it or I enjoy it. And it doesn't mean that we should necessarily love or enjoy complex or difficult conversations. Now, let me try for a moment to just talk about conflict in terms of what am I actually talking about? When I speak about conflict, I'm speaking quite broadly. You know, when you think of conflict in a narrow sense, maybe you think of a disagreement or an argument between two people. I want to broaden it up to something a little wider. I'm here talking about uncomfortable, difficult, contended, heartfelt interactions between people that are about facing some kind of difficult reality as you go through it. That's what I'm speaking about when I talk about conflict. It's those complex, difficult, necessary interactions that will happen in time because that's the nature of life. You with me? Anybody wanna grow in their ability to do conflict better? Yes, I think we all do. So let's just talk about different uh, uh, kind of potentials. What, what are some of the outcomes of conflict? Let's look at the passages. We've got so much in the Proverbs. It is a feast of teaching when it comes to conflict. Look at 15 verse 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Notice the two potentials there. You can either have uh, what I think her name Liz Wiseman talks about the diminisher effect. People can get into conflict, they can have difficult interactions, and they know how to crush the spirit. We all know how to have conflict or difficult situations with some people, and you walk out feeling terrible. You feel worthless. You feel like the person never even saw you. They never even heard you. All they did was make sure that they were right or perceived to be right, and they crushed your spirit, and you walked out feeling pathetic. I've had moments in my life where you, I go, I'm an adult, I'm, I'm whatever, 30, 40 years old, and I, I've done so many scary things, but this person made me feel like an absolute little wimp. They crush your spirit, they make you feel pathetic. There can be a diminisher effect. Hey, but a soothing tongue is a tree of life. You can have some conflict, some difficult conversations where it is so hard to face the reality of what's going on, but as you walk out, it's almost like little fruit is beginning to blossom 
on the sole of your dreams, on the, on the edge of your life, as you've had that, that sense of, wow, I, I, this is a broken situation, but, but what that person said gave me hope. What that person spoke into the reality of what was true and scary has actually turned into something that could be potential and powerful. Wow, don't you wanna be that guy? Don't you wanna be that girl? 12 verse 18, the potentials of difficult conflict. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Ever walked out of a, a conflict, an interaction, and although the sword has been pulled out, the scars and the pain is still deep. There's a sense that you need healing from, from words that have been spoken, from interactions that have happened. Sometimes it's not the words that were spoken, it's the words that were never said. The conversations that never happened. Just this week we were talking uh, about you know, trying to have difficult conversations with, uh, with parents, about things that they've struggled with for years and years. It's the elephant in the room, but the parent will never ever let you talk about it. The moment the topic is raised, it's like they look out of the window and just become distant and disinterested. This big and weighty thing that could affect health and future has become so difficult that it can't even be spoken about. It just gets ignored, brushed aside. It's such a painful experience. Hey, but truthful lips endure forever. There can be a sense that if we do our conflict well, we can leave a legacy of healing. We can leave a legacy of, of health in the lives of people around us because we didn't squash, we didn't crush, we didn't create the diminisher effect. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Wow. Ever been in a difficult conversation and a person has taken a while to speak, but then when they do speak, the choice of their words are so careful they're so thoughtful that they bring into account all the various threads of what's going on that doesn't leave one person left in the gutter and the other person exalted to the heights. It acknowledges that there's a bit of brokenness here. There's a bit of brokenness there. There's need for help there. There's need for help here. And everybody is both humbled and everyone is both empowered. That's the power of lips preserving life. Hey, those who speak rashly will come to ruin. I look back on my life, even as a kid, remember saying things to my parents and particularly to my sister that just came out of my mouth and I still look back and I go, whoa, I still wish I'd never said that. It's 30 years later, I still wish I'd never said that. It can cause ruin, it can cause pain, it can cause decades of difficulty. What's interesting here is that the proverb says that words spoken rashly can cause ruin for our own lives. It's our own regret that can often eat us up and cause us incredible pain. A perverse person stirs up conflict. A gossip separates close friends. Hey, our conflict can cause division, can cause a, a dividing. What used to be so peaceful we noticed this, I think, through the COVID season, right? Everybody was much more kumbayaing until the conversation of masks and uh, what were those other things called? Vaccinations. And, and suddenly, it was like, what? 
we, we used to love each other until the vaccine came around. A perverse person stirs up conflict, almost enjoys provoking, throwing the cat amongst the pigeon, playing the devil's advocate. Some of us amongst us love to do that, just unnecessarily, just stir the pot, mess with people, cause a little bit of extra frustration. You know what it does if you're a gossip around that? You separate close friends. Instead of holding the tongue, there's a sense of what used to be trust is now broken. What a, what a dangerous potential. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You see, there's huge potential to do conflict well whereby we can cause redemption or we could isolate ourselves. We could isolate ourselves. Whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You see, there's huge potential for great good if we do conflict well, but there is equally huge potential for great pain if we don't do it well. So let's look at the different types of conflict that the Proverbs talk about. You see, there's different types of conflict. Some are good, some are bad. And some come from good motives, some come from bad motives. Here we go. Firstly, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Some conflict is started because for a while we have had hatred in our hearts that we have let simmer. The story we have told ourselves about that colleague, about that sibling, about that friend, we have let ourselves believe that they are a bad person. And so anger, frustration, hatred has built up in our hearts. Let's not pretend it's the person sitting down at the end of the row. We can all develop a narrative, a story that begins to become more true than it should of anger, frustration, jealousy, rage that lives inside of us. And then it becomes too easy to cause pain to them, to, to, to have a conflict and to say stuff we wish we had never said, or to empower others to say things that we know we would like to say. If we've got hatred in our hearts, it's a place to begin to, to ask the question, how could Jesus deal with that? Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. How many of us take the bait quickly? Somebody does something silly and we jump at it. I've watched this on WhatsApp groups. Somebody says something they know they probably shouldn't have said and before you know it, the neighborhood is a buzz because you said something you probably regret. You're like, I should never have said that. I was on painkillers and I didn't even know that I said it. It's not true, it didn't really happen. But we can do stuff. But the person who jumps on it says this proverb is the person who's actually even more foolish. Fools show their annoyance at once. The moment you do something silly, I take the bait, I let it hook, and I chase after it. The wise person overlooks an insult, says, you know what, I, I, I'm gonna believe the best of that person. I'm gonna believe the best. In fact, I just know that if I take the bait on that, I'll be chasing down every single thing that happens. That's the danger of social media. We're taking the bait on so much. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Sometimes our hearts are filled with deception or, or plotting kind of some sort of evil, and, uh, and, and often that's not actually because we're going, I want to be evil. Sometimes it's just self-promotion. We would just like to do better. We'd like to get more recognition. Maybe there's a bottom line. We could earn a bit more if we were seen as better than others. And so although at the moment it doesn't seem as, as kind of like this strong language, plotting evil, 
What it is, is it's a need to be seen as superior, better than, stronger than. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil. We must be careful, monitor our own hearts. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Hey, this speaks about habits. Sometimes we have developed habits over time of learning to just burst out. To be a hot-tempered person takes practice. And we need to realize, are we hot-tempered people? Are you a hot-tempered person? Hey, I can't answer that for you, but the person next to you can. If you've got some courage today, go, am I a hot-tempered person? Let the person answer you. Face reality. Hey, but those are the bad starts. Those are the, the negative versions of conflict. There is some good conflict. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We've read this one. You see, what we want for each other is so important. You see, if I let you off the hook, if you see me with a broken arm and you don't tell me that this needs work and needs uh, to, be, to be dealt with, you don't love me. You don't care about my health. You want me to have arthritis in five years' time, right? If I see a problem in your life and with all the love in my heart, as a friend, I bring something to you and say the way that you are treating your friends is not okay. You can't be so rude and so harsh. Can I carry something that's difficult to, to, to share to you in love? Can I tell you something that may be a difficult reality to face because I think it might help who you're becoming and it might help the people around you love you better? Can I help you with that? Better an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. When last did a friend wound you? They can be trusted. Whoever rebukes a person, 28 verse 3. Sorry, my laptop just went crazy. 28 verse 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. You see, the strange thing is we would love, and this is a common thing in our society, we say, I've got amazing friends. But so often the definition of the friends that we have is I've got people around me who never challenge me and they make me feel good about myself. And the moment our friends don't agree with something that we're up to, we simply ghost them and go find a new crew. Now, like, maybe you say, that's not me. But then maybe you don't have any friends. That can also be the case. We just simply keep everyone at arm's length. There's a very small portion of people who have friends that they have had for a long time who have walked with them through their own mistakes and shortcomings. What you want are friends whom you have wronged, who have told you that you've wronged them, and who still love you on the other side of that. They care about you. They, they are like iron sharpening iron, so one person sharpens another. We so talk about, you know, our friends doing us wrong, we think, oh, that person did me wrong. What rubbish? How, has the world only ever done us wrong? Have we never? So we're the other half of the world. Have you ever thought about that? We always tell the story, yeah, no, there's people and they've done wrong things, but so seldom do we go, I must have let some people down. You must have let some people down. You must have done some conflict in an unhelpful, unwise way. You must surely have said some stuff that you regret. 
you must surely have needed some sense of forgiveness from other people. We are such a radically consumeristic society that when I speak, we always talk, think about it from what people have done to us and how we are the victims. I wanna ask us to turn the narrative around and to go, it goes both ways. That we would need sometimes to have difficult conflict where sometimes we are the ones who have made the mistakes. We are the ones who've done wrong. So whether initiating or receiving, the goal is not to break down, but to grow. It's to build people up. This is an important distinction. So how do you start conflict? The Proverbs have so much wisdom on not just types of conflict, but how do we actually initiate it? How do we get some uh, conflict going? There's some really unhelpful ways to start conflict. Listen to this. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Anyone seen a, bre a dam breach? It's when the wall breaks and you suddenly just have the water gushing out. I've seen it so many times. We used to love it. You build a big dam at the beach and then you just let the water start to trickle. And once it's going, there is no stopping it. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So stop the, drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Sometimes we just start unnecessary quarrels. And you look back and you go, this family divided over such a silly thing. I've watched this in, in various families in our church and, and in my uh, growing up, where some really, really silly things became big things, and the, the, the dam was breached, and nobody even knows why this dam is empty. Nobody even can remember what the first argument was that made the family one member not talk to the other. You're nodding because you know that's true, even in your own scenarios. Some family members have let some stuff, and you don't even know how it all started. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Sometimes we just love being disagreeable. I've got some friends. I'm actually, I don't think I'm a hugely disagreeable person, am I? Not too much. I've got lots of flaws, but not that one. But I have some friends who just love to almost, you, you bring some thoughts, and the first thing is, yeah, but. Are you a yeah, but person? Yeah, but, what about? Always trying to find the, the other thing, the other reason. Hey, sometimes we need to learn to listen well. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Some conflicts just start with false accusations. 26 verse 17, listen to this lovely one. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel that's not their own. It's pretty cool, hey? gotta love the Proverbs. When last you grab a stray dog by the ears? It's a dumb thing to do. You might end up with one of these. Sometimes we just love it. It's like going on Facebook and sending, putting up some contentious political thing that you just know. You're grabbing a stray dog by his ears and you're pulling. You're going, what am I going to get from this? You're going to get bitten. And you know that. We just love taking the bait. So what is good conflict? How do we start it? Well, we start it as an expression of love, like an open rebuke rather than hidden love. Instead of hiding our affections for someone, we actually bring an open word of love to a person because we know it's going to help them grow. We help a person with all the love that we possibly can to face the reality that they need to face. That's what love is. That's what Jesus does in the gospel is he comes to humanity and he says, I'm the only one who did it perfectly. The reality is, is that none of you have done what I did. Eek. 
crickets? No one. No one's lived good. No one's lived righteous. None of you have. I'm the only one, says Jesus, who got it all right. So here's the good news. I'm going to get it right for you. But one of the things you need to do is you need to own that you didn't get it all right. Would you face reality that you're not righteous, that you do make mistakes, and more importantly, you need help and forgiveness? That's what an open rebuke is. The greatest open rebuke that ever came our way was in Jesus Christ as he looked at us and he said, I love you too much to leave you pretending you're fine. You're not okay. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Seriously, I, I, we, I've practiced this as much as I can. Uh, most recently at Life Group, we were talking, and it's easy. Everyone's kind of just nodding, going, yeah, 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 great. Love what you're saying. And I, I found myself going, well, I have a th another opinion. It's not, I don't want to fight. I just have a slightly different opinion on this. I want to add something to that. Sometimes we're sitting in a group and a person is, you know, going through a difficult relational patch and all the friends are going, sorry, you deserve better, you deserve better, you deserve better, you deserve better. But which friend goes, but you also brought some of that on yourself. You also chose this. You didn't even need to be in this. Hey, how can I help you next time to go a bit slower, to choose a bit wiser, to not rush in headfirst into a relationship? This is your third one that we've sat around and we've had this beer and we've bemoaned the pain that other people have caused you. How can I help you to slow down and to find what you're looking for in a different place? Because at the moment it looks like you're searching from all these different places for love and you're not finding it in the place you really need it. Can I lovingly call you to a higher reality? Can I lovingly carry something across the bridge of our friendship that we've been building for a long time to tell you something a bit more difficult than just that he wasn't a nice guy, but that maybe you don't need to find another one for a while, but maybe you need to find a new source of love. Can we talk about how we do that together? Can we talk about some measures we can put in place so that you know, in a week's time you're not telling me about the next guy? That's love. That's, a, that's an open rebuke, but it's not a flattering kiss that just lets you keep on in the patterns of pain that you have been living in. <clears throat> As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Three quick clues or cues to, to keep doing conflict better. Firstly, create some preemptive habits in your life. So instead of, you know, waiting till things blow up and you have difficult conflict, have some preemptive patterns in your friendships, in your communication style, in your marriage that actually preempt that. So maybe once a month, uh, as an example in our staff team, we have a walk around the block. I do with each individual. I go, how are we doing? How can I serve you better? Is there anything that uh, we need to share to each other so that we don't have a surprise at the end of the year about you know, some frustration that you're facing? So we talk about it now. Preemptive habits. Every four weeks, we talk about stuff that we don't want to build up. You can do that in your home. How are we doing as a, as a household? Any things we need to work on? Everyone doing the dishes the way they need to do it? Are we talking about stuff we need to talk about? You can do it in your marriage. You set up preemptive habits so that you are not building up a, a dam that is soon to breach and then it is going to obliterate everything. Sound good? What preemptive habits could you set up? Secondly, clarify your own motives. 
before you're getting into deep and intense conversations or interactions, ask the Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, God. There's so much going on right now, and all I'm feeling is fear, anxiety, stress, anger, rage. One of the best things when you're feeling that is to say, we need to have this conversation. Can we have it tomorrow? Can we have this chat another day? I know this needs to happen, but I don't think if we have it now, my emotions are gonna give you what you need. I need to calm down, and maybe you do too, but can we have this chat? And what's so important about good conflict and important conversations is to schedule them sometimes. Because so often we've got the stuff that we know we need to talk about. It's the elephant in the room. It's a family conversation. It's a marriage conversation. It's a friendship thing. And you go, hey, I, we, we know. We really know. Nix and I have had hundreds in the last 13 years of marriage. 25th is our anniversary next week. And we, are, we have had to realize we can't talk about it now because we're whatever, bathing kids or doing stuff. But if we don't talk about it sometime, it's gonna be an issue. So what about tomorrow night, we set some time aside and we talk about that. And you actually schedule it. You schedule your conflict, your difficult chat that you need to have. The thing that you need to say. You message your boss, I need to talk about this. The company culture, it's been, I've been here for 10 years, this thing is hurting us. Can I have a chat about it and I wanna bring some solutions that I think could help the whole company get better? Thirdly, consider uh, not just what you wanna say, but consider how you want to say it. Dudes, listen to me, especially if you're married. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. If you're looking away and your eyes are rolling, it doesn't matter how loving you might seem to be in your words, your body language says you are chutful. <laughs> it's not okay. How you speak is as important as what you speak. Use axioms like, help me understand. You mentioned this, is there any chance you could help me understand that better? Such a powerful little one-liner, but what it does is instead of going, you said this and I disagreed, you slow down, you say, Yesterday you mentioned uh, about the way that we do this. Can you help me understand what you were trying to say there? Help me understand speaks about I am willing to learn something. I might have missed it. Can I offer you a thought in love? May I carry something across the bridge of trust that we've been building? Is there something I'm not seeing here? Can I risk breaking the peace to maybe make some greater peace? Can I share something that, although difficult, I believe could actually really help you? Those little opening lines would help us to begin to become better at conflict. Okay, finally, how do we respond to it? Some of you have done well to never have to face conflict, have become quite good at avoiding conflict at every level. And to you, I want to say it's not okay to bad conflict, where people are maybe trying to pick a fight, cause issues. Proverbs 15 verse one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Hey, what about some gentle answers? What about not taking the bait every time somebody prods or, or tries to annoy you? As we move into a landing time of just thinking and praying, I wanna ask you, how do you face reality? One of the most terrifying things about conflict is the fear that we will have to face what's actually real about our life. 
We are expert. And thanks to virtual reality and social media, we are increasingly expert at living disconnected realities. One of the most wondrously freeing things that the gospel comes and does is that the gospel comes into your deepest reality and into that deepest reality, the facts that are the facts, the coalface of the facts, you are loved more than you could imagine. That is remarkable. For some of us, we sweep it under the carpet like the, uh, the fool in Proverbs 12. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise take advice. Maybe you've become good at just learning to avoid any people who might even get close to bringing that thing up or things that might make you face reality. You become so expert at it that you just deflect them like a brilliant goalkeeper. Ronwin Williams, Doosh. you're so good at pushing the good advice away that people are almost giving up. This last week, I've had so many people go, if I, literally, I, I, when you preach, people somehow give you lots of content. People going, if I even raise that topic, the person will just tell me, oh, you, you think I'm a failure. Oh, you say I'm so pathetic. Won't even get close to even talking about it because there's a brilliant deflective mechanism to actually face it. They become good at just learning to sweep it aside, knock it off. The other thing that some people do is the hedgehog kind of method. Uh, Proverbs 15:12. Mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. You ever seen a hedgehog under threat? Pulls out the spines and puts out those sharp kind of uh, quills. Is it Sam? Quills. They may oh porcupine. Is it porcupine? Same thing. Okay, porcupine. Sorry. They may withhold their affection. They suddenly develop selective hearing towards the person or run them down in company. They sometimes regard themselves as more virtuous than the rhinos who we'll speak about, but their reactions can be just as damaging to a relationship. Get spiny, difficult, prickly when suddenly difficult correction comes your way. There's also the rhino to answer before listening. That is folly and shame. The rhino, when you come speak to them and try to bring any kind of helpful, thoughtful correction, they just pull out their big horn and they just, like a rhino in a china shop, they just knock stuff over and you regret ever raising the topic with them. Are you the rhino, the hedgehog? Are you the one who just deflects? Maybe you're a bit of everything, depending on who the person is. Chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Anybody want to be stupid today? If you don't want to be stupid, let's go with this for a while. Learn to love discipline. Learn to enjoy it. Take it on. What if the people around you actually love you and they want you to grow? What if Jesus really loves who you're becoming and he could use some of us around? What if Jesus is going to use the scriptures and as you read them, you go, wow, I don't want to be stupid. I want to grow. I want discipline. I want to become a better person. I don't want to be a fool or a mucker. I want to be a person who grows into maturity and love. I want to stop being a rhino. I want to start being a humble person who loves to learn. 11 verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I once heard a person describe pride as basically not willing to face reality. Humility is the willingness to face that God is God and I am not. 
that God is king and I am not king, that he's in charge and that I'm not. He's righteous and I am unrighteous and I'm a sinner and I need some changing. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Hey, don't you wanna hear some honesty in your life? Don't you wanna embrace reality again? Stop pretending that you're better than you are and that things are better than they are. I don't know why the Holy Spirit made me do this the moment I put my faith in Jesus, but I've told you so many times. I've been a follower of Jesus for about three weeks, and I went straight back to Durban, and I knew the first thing I needed to do was to face up to my parents and say, I've been a drug addict, and I've taken these drugs, and I've used your money in this way, and I've done all this stuff. I made a mess up, and I've wasted your time and your money, and I'm sorry. It's the, it's the work of the Spirit. You know what's so powerful about that? So I was back into reality. I wasn't pretending anymore. That's, what the, that's the work of the gospel on your life, that Jesus knows everything, so now that he knows everything, you've got nothing to hide. And so you go to the trusted people around you and you say, he knows everything anyway, but I wanna just share this so that I can grow out of it. I used to be a drug addict, but I don't wanna do that anymore. I need help. I used to love just the affection of other people, but I don't want that anymore. I want the affection of Jesus so I can live whole and grow up. I don't want to be an addict of people or stuff or chemicals. I don't want that. The best way, says the, anyone who does any addiction recovery, face the facts. The truth is, is we need to face the facts in every area of life. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. There's a day coming in the wonder of the gospel that God will measure all things. If you feel like you've been wronged, you look up to the cross and you realize he was wronged on your behalf. If you feel like all the difficult conflicts keep coming your way, go to Jesus who got the worst of the conflicts that came his way and he surrendered in love. He didn't defend himself to the hilt. Instead, he surrendered himself to the love of the Father. As you get some correction and you face some discipline, we face reality with hope. I got a new definition for love, is to face reality with hope. Maybe the band can come up, and I want you to reflect on that for a moment. To love someone is to help them to face reality with the hope of the gospel. What an amazing thought. What if we could love each other so well that we go, I'm going to help you and I to face reality in a gentle and a tender way because there's hope for every reality that we're in right now. There is not one thing that is real about you or I, not one addiction, not one arrogant, prideful habit that keeps pushing the people away from me. All of that is redeemable if I face it. It's a cool thought. Jesus died for every aspect of us. So the biggest elephant in the room today is actually this relationship with God that he wants us to have. And that in so many ways, the biggest reality that we need to face is that God wants to be with us. And so often we try to find other realities, other things, other more important stuff to love or to give our time to. And today again, he invites us into a relationship with him and he says, just come trust me. That's the big conflict. That's the big reality that we need to face is that there's a righteous God who looks at unholy people and he says, I wanna be with you. There's only one way and that's if you face the reality that I did what you could never do, 
I died the death you should have died. And now I'll give you the hope that you can only get from me. So come get hope in Jesus. Come trust that he will walk you out of your reality into a redemptive story. That's the, that's the joy. That's the journey. That's the starting place. If you can be honest with God, the rest will come. So Jesus, this morning, we just thank you for the way that you model conflict to us. The way that you, in your incredible love, moved upon humanity and you gently showed us that we are not like you. And yet you didn't leave us. You lived the life we should have lived and then you used that life to credit it to us. And you died a death we should have died in our rebellion, but you also credited that to our account as though we had died. And now that you've given us your life and your death, you offer us restored relationship based on your amazing sacrificial love. You dealt with the conflict. You dealt with the reality of our plight so perfectly. We just thank you for that. And so we face reality today. We open ourselves to your discipline, to your correction, to your love, because we know we're safe in your love and that we have had the deepest reality faced and dealt with. And so we trust you today. And we ask that we would be a people of love who help each other to face reality with hope. And that we would become a means of grace to each other. Not trying to nitpick and pick out all each other's faults, but in love, facing reality with hope. The hope of the gospel. Let's worship. Let's stand together. Thanks so much for joining us today. In Common Ground Bloberg, we prize seeing information turned into revelation. In other words, a deep heart understanding of what we've heard. Why don't you take a moment now to just prayerfully consider what information have you heard that you're trusting God to take deep into your heart and turn into revelation that'll shape your life. Have a fantastic day.